0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Great. And boy, am I excited to meet for the first time myself and have you all meet and listen to David Gregory. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him to begin with, then we'll get into this. His life has come full circle. Uh, Despite a love for writing and liberal arts in high school and college, he opted for a more practical business degree that launched him into a successful 10-year career in compensation management, three different consulting firms, and Texas Instruments. And after a decade of spreadsheets, which I can't imagine, however, he was ready to look for a career offering with a little more personal meaning. So he returned to graduate school. He got a master's degree from University of North Texas with concentrations in communication and sociology. And during that bit time, he began creative writing in the form of a couple of short screenplays, one dramatic and one science fiction. He started a periodic newsletter before joining a Christian ministry as a staff writer and editor. While there, he co-authored two nonfiction books, The Marvelous Exchange and The Reason Why I've Been Wanting to Meet Him for So Long, this book, The Rest of the Gospel, When the Partial Gospel Has Worn You Out. And in a little while, I'll tell you why my pages are dog-eared and all of that kind of stuff. That book had a tremendous impact on me. He got another master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, He started writing fiction. Uh, He wrote Dinner with a Perfect Stranger, which is a, a wonderful book, several others. And he's currently in Katy, Texas with his wife and two children. He works for a nonprofit organization. And having said all that, welcome so much, David.
1: Thanks so much, Paul. It's great to be here.
0: Boy, it's great to have you here. And I got this book, The Rest of the Gospel, I was uh, a pastor, and I still am, but a little different ilk, but I'd been a pastor for 20 years, and I was at a kind of a crisis time in my life in 2009. I was at the church office in downtown Lawrence, where we live, and I got this brown paper envelope with no return address, just addressed to the church, and inside of it, all that was in there was this book, No Note, No Nothing. I still don't know who it came from. And I was in between books and also really looking for something. So I thought, well, I'll read this. It's got a neat cover. And God used it to literally change my life. And in one particular chapter, well, the introduction, but in one particular chapter about grace, that was the first time I ever learned anything about grace. I'd been a pastor for 20 years, and I had no concept of what grace was. You know, I said grace at meals, and I could uh, sing Amazing Grace and play it on a trumpet, but uh, I had no concept. And that led me on a journey starting in 2009 that has just been marvelous and never-ending, and so thank you very much for that.
1: Well, I'm thrilled that uh, somebody put the book in your hands, even if you don't know who it was.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I would. Some people call that divine providence. Uh, There are a lot of different names for it, but I'm very grateful for it. So having had the opportunity now to meet you face to face and be with you, what are you doing these days? What's going on with your life? And then we'll get into talking about grace in a little bit.
1: All right. Super. Well, I've kind of been doing a variety of things. Last year, I was teaching at a uh, local Christian school. I was teaching junior high and high school. I will be continuing teaching on a part-time basis this coming school year, mostly English composition. So the rest of my time, I'm actually devoting myself to writing. I'm, I'm ghostwriting an autobiography for someone in the Houston area, and I'm also working on a couple of writing projects of my own. And so uh, I continue to write, both for myself and for others.
0: Great. I can imagine writing for myself, but not for others. But you've obviously done well with that. And I'm assuming that you got to know Dan Stone a little bit when you wrote Rest of the Gospel?
1: Yeah, obviously. You are aware, having read the Rest of the Gospel, that it is almost entirely Dan's material. I first met Dan Stone in a retreat near Tyler, Texas in 1987. And then I went to about three more retreats with him in in the 90s, well, where he was teaching. And I got to know him somewhat. And I finally approached him and said, I'd like to take some of your material and put it into book form. And so I had about 50 of his audio tapes. And he sent me about 100 more. And he said, go for it. So I did. And the rest of the gospel came out of that. So my role really was in assessing which parts of which tapes would be a good contribution to the book and transcribing and arranging and editing and supplementing, you know, with intros and conclusions from time to time. But the material obviously is his. Dan's teaching on our union with Christ and learning to live out of that union was really the best I had ever heard. And so that's why I was so passionate about putting it into print.
0: Yeah, well, great. Gosh, it's such a great book. What was the initial response to it? Did you get much resistance from it? Was it widely accepted? How was it?
1: Well, Dan had spent a lot of years going around the country speaking at retreats and people's homes and just to small groups. And so he kind of had this series of little groups around the country that already knew him and loved his teaching and that he oftentimes went back to on an annual basis and would do a small retreat for them or so forth. And so word got around, hey, there's a damn stone book out. And so I really did almost nothing to promote the book. I just put the book out there and it started selling. And we ended up selling about 75,000 self-published copies Mm -hmm. until I turned it over to Harvest House Publishers a few years ago. And so they are the ones that publish it now. In addition to that, people approached me about the possibility of putting it into foreign languages. And entirely on their own, their own projects. And so it ended up being translated and published in Russian and Croatian and Bulgarian and Spanish and German and Dutch and Chinese, Mandarin, and a couple of languages. I probably, it was translated into French. I'm probably leaving out another couple of languages. Anyway, none of that was any of my doing. It was just people contacting me and saying, we love this book. We'd love to make it available in this language.
0: Wow. And it certainly helped a lot of people. Tell us about your other books. I don't know if you remember this or not. I'm sure you did this with several people, but with uh, Day with a Perfect Stranger, I think you sent me an advanced copy of that to read and give some feedback on, which I was very appreciative of. That was several years ago. But of all your writings, what would you say is your seminal work? What has affected people the most? What have you enjoyed writing and enjoyed the results of the most?
1: Well, I would say the answer to that of my nonfiction books certainly has been the rest of the gospel. And of the fiction books that I've done, my first fiction work, which was Dinner with a Perfect Stranger. And A Day with a Perfect Stranger was the sequel to it. But Dinner with a Perfect Stranger is a book that I started while I was in my last semester at Dallas Seminary. And I started as a special project that I was getting credit for. And really got it just laid on my heart. To put the gospel in, in a very approachable form. And, and so it's a real simple story about a modern day agnostic skeptic from Cincinnati uh, in his 30s who receives a dinner invitation to dine one night with Jesus at a nice Italian restaurant. And he goes expecting that some friends had put together this thing just as a joke. And so, but he thought, well, at least I'll get a nice meal out of it, so I'll go. And so he has this two-hour meal with this guy who claims to be Jesus. And he discovers by the end of the meal, this really is Jesus. So it's kind of a, what would you want to talk to Jesus about for two hours if you had him to yourself kind of scenario. And really, my heart in writing, it was just, I wanted something that I could give to people to share the gospel with them and that they would hopefully find entertaining and that would be a good read and God would use it in their lives. And so that was really my only goal for the book. And so I self-published it had maybe a thousand copies sitting in the garage or so. And Random House ended up giving a hold of a copy and they contacted me and said, Hey, we'd like to publish your book. And so I said, fine. And so they ended up publishing the book, and it became a New York Times bestseller. And so God did things with it that were so far beyond what I ever imagined. I just wanted a book that I could give to people personally to share the gospel. And about that time, a movie producer, independent film producer from Louisville, Kentucky, gave me a call and said, hey, I'd like to put your book into movie form. And so I said, Greg, go for it. So he produced a movie called The Perfect Stranger, which it and its two sequels have been shown on cable TV many dozens of times. So God has taken it far beyond anything I ever envisioned.
0: Well, that's kind of the way he works, it seems like. Yeah. That sounds very similar to uh, what I hear Paul Young say about writing The Shack.
1: Yes, for sure. I have a funny story about The Shack, I'll tell you. I was friends with a guy up in the Northwest, where Paul Young is from, who introduced me to a fellow who was working at the time with Paul Young to get this book into print. And so he said, I have a manuscript I'd love to send to you and tell me what you think of it. So he did. It was the shack. And so I contacted him back. I was kind of going through my 15 minutes of fame with dinner with a perfect stranger, which had become a bestseller. And so I contacted him back. I said, I think God could do really significant things with this. And so, um, he said, would you be willing to endorse it? And so I said, sure, be happy to. And so when the shack first came out, an endorsement quote by Eugene Peterson was on the front. And on the back was an endorsement quote from me and from Michael W. Smith. And so it was out in self-published form for you know about a year and a half. And it sold a million copies or so self-published. It was just unbelievable, you know, success story. And so then Hachette, who's the world's largest publisher, took it over. And so they got some more endorsements. And I was bumped into the inside four pages of endorsements. And I was replaced on the back cover by Winona. And so uh, I thought, well, this is helpful. I'm somewhere in the zone of importance between Winona and total nobody. So, you know, (laughs) at least I know where I stand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I never knew that. It's an amazing story. You know, that was... uh, Another one of the books that has, of course, impacted my life. After I've read the rest of the gospel, then we had a, gosh, we still have all these years later, we have a Sunday night group. We have dinner together and I used to teach now. It's more of a discussion thing. But when I was teaching in those days, I got everybody a book, one of these, and then I taught each chapter. So these are all paper clipped. Yes. I taught taught Uh, each chapter.
1: The whole thing thing is falling apart.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) And then our leadership group was so excited and supportive of it that I taught it for however many chapters there are that many weeks. I taught it on Sunday morning, and the the church was extremely receptive. It was really good. And we had some new people come to our church then and said, well, if you like that book, you'd really like Steve McVeigh's book, Grace Walk. Yeah. And I think maybe published by the same company that published. uh,
1: Yes, actually, yes, by Harvest House.
0: Yeah, and so I I got that, and uh, I thought, wow, you know, this is new stuff to me. And then I got to be friends with Steve. This was in 2010. So the internet and social media wasn't near what it is now. And uh, he'd gone through some health issues and he wasn't traveling. But I asked him, I said, you know, if I were to come to see you in Atlanta, you know, could you spend a few hours with me? And he said, of course. And so I went, he picked me up at the airport. I didn't know he was doing this, but he paid for a hotel room for me for a couple of days. And I just hung out with him. And just picked his mind about stuff. And so I came back and, and I started really teaching grace to our folks. And it was a great church of about 250 people. I preached it down to 125 in the, in the course of, <laughs> in the course of about a year's time. And then I get a hold of the shack. <laughs> we had a friend, I have a friend who's still here and a very close friend who's very wealthy. And, uh, I mean, he bought cases of the shack cases at a time, we'll just give them out to people and gave them to me and give them out. You know, and I started doing that and then I I preached it down (laughs) further. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's all been very worthwhile. But it's so interesting how authors and writers and uh, even ghostwriters or or whatever we're called, how books can have such a tremendous impact on people that you would never have any idea. And that's got to be a great feeling and a great source of goodness for you to realize that's still happening.
1: Yeah, for sure. Every once in a while, I get an email from somebody. I got one sometime in the last few months that said, hey, 12 years ago, I read Dead the Perfect Stranger. I became a believer. You know, this is what, you know, God has done in my life since. And it's like, well, it's always a thrill to get a message like that. It's like, huh, look what God did. Yeah.
0: Oh, it is. So are you able to relate? the things that you've written about and you understand to your junior high and high school students that you're teaching now?
1: Well, I've been planting seeds. (laughs) (laughs) You want to keep your job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, it's been interesting because I've been working on a book this summer and I didn't intend for this. God just laid it on my heart and I just started working on it immediately and I'm completing the second draft right now and hope to have it into print fairly quickly. It's a book addressed to teens, and it is all about walking in the new covenant and walking in the fullness of God's grace. And I'm just not aware that there's a lot of material out there like this. If there's a book that is specifically addressed to teens about the fullness of God's life in us and the reality of Christ in us and living that out, there may be one out there, but I'm just not aware of it. And so uh, I've put put this book together. It's actually, it's a book that's in letter form. So it's done as a letter to one of my sons. And uh, he's 16. I'm calling it God is for Teens. And the subtitle is, And He's Not What You Think. It's short. It literally takes about an hour to read. But my intention with it is just to present a unified picture of everything that Christ has done for us under the new covenant and what it means to live in the fullness of God's grace. And just so that a teen could pick it up and read it and think to themselves, you know, this is presenting a totally different view of the Christian life than I've thought of how the Christian life is supposed to work. And so that's really my goal. It's just short and to the point, and hopefully teens will relate to it and read it. We'll see how God wants to use it. Wow.
0: Well, that's really cool. I'm looking forward to getting that and to giving several copies away.
1: Well, good. As I said, I'm not aware of another resource like it. And so uh, I think there's among people who have personally come to understand and have a passion for the message of the new covenant and all that Christ has accomplished for us, then, yeah, I I think people will be excited about giving this to some uh, younger people in their lives. Well, yeah.
0: I certainly am not aware of anything like that you mentioned in describing that Christ in you. This friend of mine that we're still friends with—he's considerably older than me. But before I ever got the book, the rest of the gospel, or started on my journey now, he was very supportive of us in our church, and I would go to visit with him primarily when I needed money, and I would tell him uh, what the you know the churches need, you know, and he would always give and support what we were doing. But when I would talk with him, and, and this is about 15 years, well, more than 15 years, this is 22 years ago when it started. And this is a big, burly guy, a former quarterback, construction guy. And he would get teary eyed, David, and, and he would talk to me about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I would sit and listen politely. And I'd come home and I'd say to my wife, You know, I really like this guy, and he's so generous. But I got no idea what he's talking about. I mean, what Christ in you though what what in the, what does that mean? I literally had no idea <laughs> and And I' found since then that that most of us don't. I mean we I, I don't ever remember hearing about that and being taught on uh, in church or any Bible studies or I certainly never taught on it I did. I couldn't have taught on. it. I had no idea what it meant. I wasn't even sure it was in the Bible. <laughs> well, the amazing thing is, I mean,
1: you know this. But when Paul's writing to the Colossians, he's saying, hey, this is the stewardship that God's given me to preach the full message of God's word, of God's, what he wants to communicate. And the full message that God wants to communicate is Christ in you.
0: The Gentiles.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and so he says right there in Colossians 1, he says, hey, this is the main message that God has given me, Christ in you. And you're right. Unfortunately, most people have never heard the message. They've heard that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, but it kind of ends there. And so there's a lot more that Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection and that God wants to bring us into the reality of.
0: Boy, I I so agree. And uh, with your permission, I knew this would go by really quickly, but with your permission, we'll uh, end this interview. You and I'll chat for a little bit and then we'll do another one for about the same length and talk about what Christ has accomplished for us. That sound cool?
1: That'd be great. Love to.
0: Great. Tell people how they can connect with you and where they can find your books and your things before we sign off on this one.
1: Okay, super. Anybody can email me at my email address. It is david at davidgregorybooks, plural books.com. David at davidgregorybooks.com. And always happy to get emails and to respond to them.
0: Great. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for this episode. And thank all of you for uh, listening and watching uh, whatever platform you're doing that on. And we'll be back and have another episode that you guys will see and hear uh, a week from now. And so we'll sign off now and say thanks again to David and to everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you,